Welcome to As I Live and Grieve, a podcast that tells the truth about how hard this is. We're glad you joined us today. We know how hard it is to lose someone you love and how well-intentioned friends and family try so hard to comfort us. We created this podcast to provide you with comfort, knowledge, and support. We are grief advocates, not professionals, not licensed therapists. We are you. Hi, everyone. Welcome back again to As I Live and Grieve. I so appreciate you checking us out every week and listening week after week. I can tell by the numbers that you're a very faithful audience of listeners, and that truly touches my heart. So thank you. Our guest this week is Kimberly Brown, and I came across, as I always do, visiting my best friend Amazon, I came across her book, and her book is Navigating Grief and Loss, 25 Buddhist Practices to Keep Your Heart Open to Yourself and Others. I love the word open. But before we get going on that, welcome, Kimberly. And would you just tell our listeners a little bit of your background, please? Hi, Kathy, and hello, everyone listening. My name is Kimberly Brown, and I recently wrote this book, Navigating Grief and Loss. It came out last year. I am a meditation teacher and also a Buddhist student. And for about the past close to 15 years, I have been teaching both groups and individuals, and also at corporations and things, people how to develop compassion using meditative techniques. Thank you. I am so excited about our discussion today. So many questions come to mind. When I saw the title and I read Buddhist practices, I thought, "Mm, I wonder if this is going to be too complex for me. Let me tell the listeners, it's not, it's not. And if there's one thing, if I hear the word Buddhism or Buddhist, I guess the first word I associate with that is peace. The second word would be serenity. Because in the little bit of experience I have talking to guests or reading books about Buddhist practices, that's what it represents to me. And when I do try them, I do get that sense of peace and serenity within myself, which if you're grieving, is critical. You need to be able to take a break. You need to have your mind slow down. And that's one of the things meditation can do for you, as I understand it. It can help your brain and your mind slow down from all that business, all of the overwhelming thoughts that are going through your mind. But that being said, if you've never meditated, if you don't know how to meditate, You may just have an impression that you sit there quietly and close your eyes. And what's the first thing that happens? Your brain keeps racing. Now, Kimberly, you mentioned you're a meditation teacher. How do you teach someone to meditate? Well, I think you gave a great description of a lot of us when we begin. (laughs) You sit down and you get quiet and still the mind is just going. And uh, the way... What we all can do, and and Buddhists are not the only, we don't own these techniques. They're throughout humanity. The the, uh, way in which we can develop concentration and mindfulness. And we can do this when you do sit down and you start to feel, oh my gosh, I see all these thoughts coming up. That's when all of us can start to bring our attention to one place. We can bring our attention to our breath. We could bring our attention just to the sound. 
And the meditation is very simple, although it sometimes can seem very hard because at first the mind is so powerful, right? But it's a simple technique and it works. It is being with yourself, feeling your breath. I often tell beginners, put your hand on your belly. You'll very quickly feel your breath there. And just keep bringing all your attention back to your hand, to your belly, to the breath. Now, I've been meditating for many years, and I will still sit down and and feel my breath, and then a few minutes later, I'm off. I'm thinking about lunch or a movie I saw yesterday, and that's okay. I can let go and come back to my breath. And I just want all the listeners to know that the point of meditation is not to stop all your thoughts and only feel your breath, and now I'm meditating. The point of meditation is to know where your attention is. So you sit, you put your attention on your breath. Maybe you feel that for four breaths and then you're remembering what you have to do at work. The moment you notice where you are and you choose to come back is a really powerful and empowering moment because now you get to choose and you can develop the strength more and more. You get to choose where you want to uh, be right, and most of us are at the whim of the mind. Like off we go into worry, into fear. This says, "Oh, I'm worrying. I'm fearful. I'm going to pause for a minute. I'm going to feel my breath." Wow. So it sounds simplistic, but I know it's not because I know my brain too. So really, what you need to do more is to focus on bringing yourself back to focus on your breath. Then. Absolutely, the entire practice is coming back. And I have a teacher named Sharon Salzberg, meditation teacher, and she sums up meditation by the essence is to begin again, to begin again again and begin again. And we always can. There's nothing wrong with it. Just keep coming back. Just keep coming back. Boy, that kind of sums up the entire grief journey for me, for me personally. The very first experience I ever had with meditation. This almost sounds like a confession. There was a trend in my community when I was probably in my early 20s. And transcendental meditation was the phrase. And I paid a fair amount of money to be counseled in transcendental meditation. And I prepared myself for a session that was going to last for an hour or more or several sessions. And what it entailed was we went into this house. It wasn't in a conference room or anything. It was in a house, paid our money, and then we were taken off privately to a room. We were giving we were given a sound that was a mantra, and I suspect everyone's mantra was maybe the same or similar, and we were told to just keep repeating that mantra. Now, as I hear you describe meditation, it seems that that mantra was just to give me something to focus on other than what was going on in my brain. Yes. So was that mantra then like the breath? Okay. Yes, exactly. But you don't, you don't have to have a mantra. Nope. So if anybody else experienced that. And I did several times, uh, well, more than several, follow this practice. And I have to admit, it did give me that sense of peace. And I felt better afterward, almost as refreshing as taking a nap. So are there benefits to meditation as opposed to taking a nap? 
That's a great question. And and yes, although I would not say to listeners, one is better than the other. If you're physically tired, take a nap. If your mind is tired, and many of us feel a lot of exhaustion and fatigue because we have a very busy life, that's one reason, right? And our minds are just Mm -hmm. constantly going. Or we're going through a difficult time, which many of your listeners are, and I have, and you have, Mm -hmm. grieving. And that can be a very relentless feeling, both in your mind and in your body. I, I just told a student recently when my dad was very sick and died, I felt like someone had put me in a dryer. It wasn't just my mind, you know, my whole nervous system. And it happens to many people as they go through this. And so the difference between taking a nap and uh, taking 10 minutes to meditate, which you can do lying on your bed or sitting in a chair, you can do it in many different ways. Uh, the difference is that you're giving that, uh, those, giving your body and your mind a rest without shutting down. And um, instead of going against and trying to get rid of thoughts, trying to get rid of physical pain, emotional pain, the practice is to get closer, to say, okay, this is all here, and I'm going to bring my loving attention to it and offer Mm -hmm. myself the same friendship I would to anyone else, you know, with my kind attention. Mm. Interesting, interesting. It, yeah, I can definitely see. Now, should is there a certain period of time you should meditate? How do you know when you're done? Do you set a timer? That's a great question, too. Um, in a formal way, now, first of all, meditation is something that you mentioned, you saw effects of it, right? And mm-hmm. you can see the effects if you do this in a daily way. This is what the brain scientists tell us, that if you can practice meditation, I believe it's 10 or 12 minutes a day, that over time, very quickly, actually, within a few weeks, you'll start to notice, you know, a little better concentration. You'll start to notice a little softening against your, not so tight against your experience. But it does have to be done daily. It's like brushing your teeth, right? Okay. So the amount of time is really up to you, but I always ask people to start with an amount of time that you know you can do. You know, if you're a beginner, don't say, I'm going to meditate 30 minutes a day. You'll probably get discouraged. Start with 10 minutes. And you can't, I set a timer, definitely. Just, we all have devices, set it for 10 minutes. And the most important thing to modern people is to move away and shut off all your devices. You know, set set something on your phone, put it down, and go sit out of reach of it. Don't talk Mm -hmm. to people. Just give yourself this time. It's really the quiet. The quiet and the letting yourself be with yourself is what is the healing part of meditation and and being with grief. Okay. One question leads to several others, I guess. Is there a right time of day? No, there is not a right time of day. For new meditators, you're developing a habit, just like any other habit of exercise, of discipline, right? And so to develop a habit, you want to, if you can, choose a time every day that's good for you. That will help develop a habit. Could be in the morning, could be in the evening, could be at lunch. Choose an amount of time, like you said. How long? I don't know, 10 minutes. And get there every day, and this will help develop the habit. This sounds like 
an ideal exercise or practice for someone who's grieving because often we want to avoid other people because we don't want to talk about things or they don't know how we feel, so we don't feel appreciated or supported. So this is a way just by yourself, tuck yourself away somewhere quietly and learn to meditate. What is the advantage of working with a teacher and how do you find one? Well, the advantage to working with teachers is they can help, they can support you, you know, encourage you. And they can also, sometimes people have uh, struggles that come up during meditation. Oh, my mind is very wild. Oh, I feel anxious. Oh, I fall asleep. And teachers can help you and guide you through that. There are many, you can also, you don't have to find a teacher, you know, like this one person. There are many wonderful classes and different groups that meditate together that can be very supportive, you know, in learning to meditate. Mm -hmm. Well, how do you find someone uh, and, and know that they're, they're credible? Yes, that's a good question. You know, what, who is a legitimate meditation teacher? Exactly. And, you know, there are so many right now. You know, there's also meditation and mindfulness are used as a synonym for many, right. in many different places, you know. I can only speak, I, I come from the Buddhist tradition, so I can okay. tell you to find a reputable and, and credible meditation teacher. What I look for is, well, who are their teachers? Do they, okay. do they and have they studied and continue to study with particular, you know, teachers and groups? Okay. Uh, do they do retreats? You know, most oh. legitimate Buddhist teachers, you know, we're, we will train our whole life. We'll keep, you know, we we'll never mm-hmm. stop being students. And right. most of us will go on retreat at different, you know, at least once a year. I, that, so I always look for that. Where do they practice? Right. Where do they? You just got back, in fact, didn't you? I did. I was away for a week at a silent meditation retreat at Insight Meditation Society in Massachusetts. And I'm giving mm. them a shout out because if any of your listeners are, are interested, they do a wonderful mm-hmm. job with their retreats. Mm, nice. Um, I would also kind of look at their students, you know, if you can, the people that follow them. What you want to avoid are people that are saying, if you do meditation, that that they make promises that I don't think are, you know, like, you know, that, oh, you're just going to feel, you know, wonderful all the time and everything will be 90 days to a happier you. (laughs) Yes, exactly, Kathy. And you want to stay away from meditation teachers and mindfulness teachers that are avoiding feeling that are only okay. have an emphasis on, oh, you'll just have only positive feelings because okay. that's not the point at all. We have, we're human. We have it all joys and sorrows okay. and we want to be able to be there okay. for it. All right. Can meditation be taught virtually? Yes. And you'll find wonderful classes, wonderful teachers online right now. You can, you can watch videos, but I suggest to everybody, there are lots of live classes available now via Zoom okay. where you can interact with the other students and also talk to the teachers. Nice, nice. I'm intrigued. I want to go back to your book for a minute. The way the book is formatted, I love because it mentions different practices, one for each chapter. 
and you have some unique titles if you're angry, if you know your your family is disappointing you and things like that. And you offer a personal experience that you're aware of, whether it's yours or um, one that you know of. And then there's this shaded, like a commentary almost. And my very favorite one, and I just have to share this with our listeners because this whole thing, I want to put it on a sign and put it over my desk. And it says, I think it's in chapter two, the bad news. Nothing is going to turn out the way you planned. The good news. Nothing is going to turn out the way you planned. Without change, sickness can't be healed, new habits formed, and solutions to big problems like disagreements among nations or global warmings are impossible. Change is the nature of all life, and each change has many consequences, some beneficial some neutral, and others harmful or upsetting. We can use mindfulness, skillfully paying attention to the present moment with kindness to help us notice when we're tightly holding on to the way things should be so we can be more aware of the different possibilities and choices available to us. I love this shaded piece from your book that had, and I probably read it to be fair, at least once a day. I turn to it many times because for me personally, that summed up for a time in my grief after losing Tom five years ago, that I made a concentrated effort to redefine myself to redefine my life. I had cared for him for eight months. My life became his life. Appointments every day for lab work, for chemotherapy, for radiation, everything, you name it. And then when that finished, when the chemo stopped for a break or the radiation was completed at home, it was timers were set all day long for this medication, that medication, this treatment, that treatment. That was my life taking care of him. So once he was gone, I just kind of stood and looked around my living room and said, who am I? Because I had given up everything to take care of him. No regrets. But because of change, I was able to redefine my life. And I have to say, if I look back on my entire life, this is one of my favorite, favorite times in my life. And it is through all that change that I went through. Some was really hard. Some was easy. But I'm here and I have a great life. So thank you for the words in your book. For me personally, they have so much meaning. And I'm confident that anyone who picks up this book will have the same experience. Might not be the same chapter. It might be another chapter but there are so many things in there. And then at the end of each chapter, you have a practice. You have something that we as readers and as grievers can try. And it's exciting to try something like that 
And hey, listeners, the best part, if you don't want to go out, you don't have to with these practices. These are things you can do when you're all by yourself. And nobody else need know if you don't want them to. How did you come to write the book, Kimberly? The book came about after the death of my dear friend, Denise. She is mentioned in the book. And Denise and I had been friends for many decades with another woman. We became each other's families. I'm an only child. And, you know, we spent holidays together. We took care of old aging parents together, went through divorce and all the life changes together. And in her 50s, Denise was diagnosed with cancer and died about a year and a half after the diagnosis. I wrote the book because I attribute my ability to be with her and to be through that really difficult time to many of the practices I had learned through my Buddhist training and that I teach as a meditation teacher, and that these practices really were valuable to support me but they also supported me to be able to be present through very difficult things. You know, to be with someone who's dying is really not easy. We're not taught how to do that. And these practices really enabled me to show up, to not get so overwhelmed, to not, I, I tend toward blame and anger when I'm upset, you know, and I'm like, what's wrong? I'll call, I'll call the doctor and scream, you know. And this enabled me to notice, "Mm, that's not going to get me through it. I have to be with my heart and all the fear and sadness that's there. And so I wrote the book to support others through this. I also wrote it because there are other losses that we go through that can be very hard. A divorce, getting fired from your job. These are losses too, and they're ways that we grieve and mourn and that we can use different practices of compassion, of mindfulness, of meditation to allow us to open to, like you mentioned, the changes in life. They're going to happen whether we like it or not. How do we meet them? How do we benefit ourselves and others through our actions? And we can't, you know, it's possible. I also, the main reason I wrote the book, is I want readers to know you don't have to be destroyed by grief. You can go through it. It's very painful indeed. And like all humans have before and all humans now, this is a natural experience and we have the tools. We can develop them to support ourselves through it. Before I wrap up for the day, I'm going to turn the microphone over to you and let you speak directly to our listeners. Thank you, Kathy. For anyone listening, my name is Kimberly Brown, and, and I'm a meditation teacher. And my, the focus of my work is how can we develop self-compassion and kindness and our loving hearts that we all have and use our, the tools that we have and our inherent beautiful qualities to approach our life with wisdom and with openness. And in doing so, allow us to relate to ourselves and each other with more ease and with more clarity, right? And the practices that I offer are techniques that develop compassion and techniques that develop mindfulness and concentration and awareness of your own body, mindfulness of body. 
my books, I have two, Navigating Grief and Loss, and also a book called Steady, Calm, and Brave. And that's a book to help in a similar way if you're dealing with a crisis, you know, a health scare or you've had a fire at home, you know, those sorts of things. And those books are available anywhere. You know, you can look on the internet. I teach both individuals and groups, and you can find information about that on my website, meditationwithheart.com. And finally, since Navigating Grief and Loss was published last year, I have been offering six-week grief support groups. These include meditation and group discussion. The uh, first one just ended last week, and we're beginning another one in June. And you can find that information on my website too, meditationwithheart.com. Thank you so much for listening with us today. Do you have a topic that you'd like us to cover or do you have a question from one of our episodes? Please email us at info at asiliveandgrieve.com and let us know. We hope you will find a moment to leave a review, send an email, and share with others. Join us next time as we continue to live and grieve together.